1: could call it the lineup setting edition of FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and fortunately we've got a late enough uh, lineup block today, 6 o'clock Eastern, 610 Eastern actually, his uh, first pitch at Fenway Park, Indians and Red Sox, so it uh, gives me a chance to take on a few of your lineup questions, but of course uh, got some news to go through. And a lot of Sunday performances that uh, deserve our collective attention. So I'll be getting to all of that on today's show. And uh, let me start where I usually start, with the news. And uh, probably uh, the thing that uh, fissy owners are most concerned about is Nolan Arenado's hand got hit uh, yesterday in that Rockies-Marlins game by a Vance Worley pitch. And uh, fortunately... X-ray showed no break, just a contusion. So, uh, Arenado day-to-day, that is uh, great news for everybody. Uh, So, uh, good news there. Tyler Clippard was traded. Uh, The White Sox have just cleared out their bullpen, and now they're clearing out the guys that they got in, in exchange for the first time they cleared out their bullpen. Uh that's really something. Uh so in addition to David Robertson, Tommy Canely, Anthony Swarzak, Dan Jennings, now Tyler Clifford on the move, going to the Houston Astros for a player to be named later or cash considerations. Uh in terms of the options there, Juan Mania seems to be the consensus uh favorite. I would have to agree with that based on usage patterns and uh, certainly think he has some closer potential, a uh, good strikeout rate so far this year. But I've also noticed Aaron Bummer, who not only has a, a fantastic name, but he's been used in some setup situations pitching the seventh and eighth. So I wouldn't completely rule him out. And because Bummer's a lefty, maybe uh, that uh, there could be a uh, sort of a platoon situation there uh, on the south side of Chicago. So. I d- I saw the uh, the news about the trade yesterday, so you know I thought about okay for my Sunday Fab, and it, it's always nice when you see these things happen on a Sunday. Uh, <laughs> should I make any any bids? And I just thought there wasn't enough upside and not enough certainty to bid on Manaya or or Bummer. So uh, hopefully that doesn't come back to come back to burn me. Uh, also in closer news, Paul Maunder reiterated that he is going with a committee with the uh, twins and we saw the evidence of that yesterday with trevor hildenberg getting a save against the tigers so just when you thought matt belisle had that thing all locked up uh hildenberger re-enters the picture so got uh, a little bit more news but we got to head to break we got your twitter questions and a whole lot of hitter and pitcher analysis to come so stay with me i'll be right back after this break
0: In 2016, Scott Engel predicted an impressive second season from Melvin Gordon. Jake Seeley recommended Jordan Howard. Bobby McMahon forecasted a J.A. breakthrough. George Kurtz saw a big year coming from Matt Ryan. And Joe Galina picked Shard Matthews as one of his top sleepers. These predictions turn fantasy owners into champions, and the same crew returns this year. With more savvy calls in the exclusive Edge Fantasy Football package at rotoexperts.com. Don't miss the calls that create winners. Register now and enter free radio at checkout for a special discount.
1: Back. This is FanRack Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, by the way, I got to give a uh, shout out to uh, Mike Florio and uh, the folks who who produce the show and and all the uh, the great shows uh, here on uh, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. I got uh, a comment from somebody I'm in a league with uh, league in saying, "Please give your producer kudos for the great music that they uh, play on your show." So, thanks, Mike. Uh, Anyway, uh, let's get back to the news. Uh, Clayton Kershaw has uh, pitched now two bullpen sessions, and uh, he is ready for a sim game. So he's scheduled to pitch one on Wednesday, and that's keeping him on target for a late August return, uh, this according to the Los Angeles Times. And uh, still some uh, intrigue in terms of who's going to start for the Phillies tomorrow. This is, uh, of course, of great interest to fantasy owners uh, because whoever starts tomorrow most likely gets two starts. Uh, the Phillies, uh, well, tonight it's, it's Jared Icov And I talked with um, Jim Finch on the show yesterday about what a great two-start option Jared Icov is this week. Um, great venues, great matchups with uh, first the uh, Padres. In San Diego, and then the Giants. Well, whoever starts tomorrow gets that same double set of uh, great venues and matchups. And it's been up in the air uh, as whether it's going to be Mark Leiter Jr. or Ben Lively. I've seen conflicting things about it. Just during the last break, I did another check. Didn't find anything definitive. Um, so uh, hey, while I'm talking, if you anybody out there sees anything, and I'm consumed with uh, you know talking about uh, you know Raphael Devers' home run, which I'll get to, or uh, you know Whit Merrifield's hot streak, whatever, uh, you know, tweet me or something. Uh, but I'll I'll do my best to uh, to check on that because uh, either I think would be a nice pickup. I know we're running out of time here to set our lineups for the coming week. Uh, I certainly would much rather have Mark Leiter. I mean, if you've seen what he's done in his last couple of long relief stints, it's it's unbelievable. Uh, so, you know, I, I hold out some hope that he can bring a little bit of that back to the Phillies rotation. But Lively, you know, certainly not as much upside for strikeouts. He's, uh, in fact, a very low strikeout pitcher. But uh, with those lineups and venues, he could do just fine. I mean, think about... All the times that I've recommended Ty Block, and and for the most part, I think he's he's come through, uh, pitching at home, going deep into games, you know, maybe getting two or three strikeouts, but going seven or eight innings and being really effective because he's in that that park and uh, it does Block doesn't really allow a lot of fly balls to begin with. Lively does, so that's a bit of a difference there, but could also have a lot of fly ball outs. So just a, a very long way of saying that uh, I'd be interested in picking up either one of them. Possibly even in a 12-team league, but definitely 14-team and deeper. Um, if I just knew which one it's going to be in some deeper leagues, uh, I a couple of them I picked up um, lighter already. I just find it so hard to believe that uh, Pete McKenna can't find room for uh, lighter in his rotation given what uh, he's done lately. But uh, anyhow. I'll uh, get back to that, like I said, if I actually see anything more on it. Uh, so, because the lineup uh, lock is coming up in uh, yeah, pretty, not too long, a little less than three hours, I'm going to get to your questions first. Uh, if I see any others trickle in, I can, I can do my best to get to them, but we have a few already. Uh, at Jamie underscore Sayer wants to know, whether he should go with Justin Turner, and I talked on Sunday about the Dodgers' five-game week and how that doesn't really change my opinion about most of the Dodgers uh, because there's not really too many borderline players in that lineup. Uh, him versus Mark Reynolds, so Justin Turner to me is is not a borderline player. But I'm going to kind of betray my own uh, generalized advice that I gave yesterday, and in fact. Jamie even says in the tweet, still got to go Turner, right? I would say not, only because to me, Mark Reynolds with seven games all at home with the uh, Braves and uh, Brewers pitching staffs, which, uh, I mean, Brewers, you know, is not, not so bad, but um, I, yeah, I can't, I can't turn that down. I mean, maybe if it was six games or certainly five games, yeah, I'd go with Turner. But Reynolds at home has incredible numbers, hitting for average, hitting for a ton of power. Um, that whole lineup, of course, does very well at Coors Field. So can't, uh, can't back away from Mark Reynolds on that one. I, I would have a hard time imagining the time that I would or the situation where I would not start Justin Turner. I'd say if there's any other way to get him in your lineup, do it. I don't know who your third baseman is, but um, you know, or I don't know what format this is either. I'm assuming this must be a shallow league with fairly small rosters. If that's a dilemma, yeah, if that is truly your dilemma, I'd go with Mark Reynolds. And now we got M. Uh, let me make sure I get this right. Uh, M. Lacera, 44, uh, asking me to pick two of these three to start: Whit Merrifield, who I just mentioned a little before, Aaron Judge, and Alex Bregman. And I know I got a a tweet from somebody. I'm trying to remember who it was, uh, whether it was somebody I was in a league with or just somebody uh, that uh, I know via Twitter, but uh, saying they were going to sit Aaron Judge this week. I can understand it. I can maybe even see a potential scenario where you would do it. But again, it would have to be a really shallow league. It would have to be a pretty small roster. You'd have to not have a lot of flexibility. And I know Whitmer felt really hot. I'm going to break him down. Or his stats down. I'm not gonna break him down. Uh I think he, he cannot be broken down the way he's playing. Uh but I'm gonna break his stats down a little bit later. But I, I'm gonna make Maryfeld the the odd man out here because I know Judge is just struggling all kinds of ways. Uh Bregman, of course, you do have to start. But uh I, I, I cannot dismiss his first half. And there's actually been some power there for Judge lately. It's just so many strikeouts, so many flyouts, not as much hard contact. So I understand. I mean, I'm not trying to to paint a rosier picture, picture for Aaron Judge than, than what is merited here, but um, way too much upside. And, uh, and, and I have slight doubts about Whit that I'm going to get to a little bit later on. So I would go ahead and, and start Aaron Judge over Whit Another question here. Two out of three for this week, uh, Matt Adams with great matchups, Michael Conforto with bad matchups, and A.J. Pollock with average matchups. To me, this is an easy one. I would sit Adams and go with Conforto and Pollock. I know Pollock is uh, on a, a bit of a schneid, but uh, again, you know, sort of like with, with Aaron Judge, I've got to give give him some benefit of the doubt. And um, uh, the, the thing with, with Adams, again, if it were – A stronger option, even, you know, great matchups notwithstanding. If it was a stronger option than Adams, maybe I'd consider sitting Pollock. But I really worry about playing time for Matt Adams. Uh, Yeah, I know they start off in Colorado, and maybe those four games are enough. uh, But there's one game against Kyle Freeland, the lefty, so I doubt Adams starts that one. So you're down to three games at Coors Field. And then on Friday, Matt Kemp is supposed to return. So I, th- that's just, that doesn't stack up enough for me to sit AJ Pollock. Can't do it. So um, there you go. Conforto and Pollock would be my choices there. And uh, let's see. <laughs> I think I'd already got a reply from uh, at Jamie underscore Sayer. Uh, or he's saying, 30 team points league. His team is stacked. Obviously. Uh, no, he's asking if he should sit uh, Encarnación. I would not do that. Sorry, Jamie, but thank you for listening and thank you for the follow up. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to get to one more. Uh, and to be honest, I'm not sure this one was intended for the show because everybody else responded to my directly to my inquiry for uh, lineup questions. But uh, at Building's brother, hopefully you don't mind me reading this one out loud. I think you might have intended this for the show, given given when I got this. Uh, he needs runs, doubles, and steals in a head to head eight by eight. Drop Mabin for Rajay, Dyson, Buxton, or Brian Goodwin. I would not. I would not. Uh, I would have a little bit of second thought about Buxton or Goodwin. I like them both. but um, And it's actually Goodwin's probably the one who comes closest. But I just think that Mabin is going to give you better uh, all-around production in those, those categories. So hang on to Cam Mabin. That's what I would do. All right. So, well, thank you very much for the questions. And uh, let's see. There are a few lineups out. Let, let me get to the weather first because I know we got to head to break soon. Uh, the only game that looks like a concern right now is the Reds at the Cubs. Wrigley Field, that is, I'm going to guess that's 7.05. That is a 7.05 start in central time at Wrigley Field. To only a 21% chance of precipitation. Not too bad at game time. But then it goes up into the 30s, and almost to 50% uh, by 9 o'clock central. So that looks like a particularly dangerous one. So if you were hoping to get two good starts, uh, maybe out of Asher Wojciechowski this week, maybe he doesn't have such a long start today because of rain delay. Just something to think about. Anyway, I will be back with more analysis, some lineups, and all kinds of good stuff. So stick around. Be right back. Welcome back. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host for this show. And it's time for my uh, daily reminder to let you know that you still can take the world's premier 24-7 Fantasy Sports Radio Network with you wherever you go. All you got to do is download the Fantasy Sports Radio app from the iTunes Store or from Google Play and listen for free anytime or anywhere. You can hear Tony Sincotta while you're on the treadmill. Or Greg Sussman while you're on the subway. Or relax with the King on the couch or with Jake Seely when you're jogging. We'll keep you updated and informed wherever you go. So go get the Fantasy Sports Radio app for free right now in the iTunes Store or on Google Play and take the experts with you. So let's uh, take a peek in at some of the hitter performances from Sunday. A couple members of the two-homer club. Justin Turner with numbers 16 and 17 against the Padres. Uh, He's uh, been more noteworthy so far this year. Well, I shouldn't say so far. I would say up until recently for his astronomical batting average than for his home run power, but uh, starting to catch up in that department. And he's hitting fly balls at a 48% rate, uh, which is very high. Uh, But he's also getting a lot of base hits on fly balls. So usually there's that batting average power trade-off unless you're either hitting just so many home runs that your BABIP doesn't really matter as much, or uh, you're managing to get uh, hits on your fly balls. That's the tougher route to go, I would suppose, and that is the route, well, Turner is hitting quite a few homers, but uh, he's hitting 174 on the fly balls that don't leave the yard, which is really high, I would say probably close to double. Uh, what the major league average is. I don't know top of mind what that is so far this year, but it's usually somewhere around 100, uh, maybe a little bit under, so maybe not quite double, but uh, it's it's extremely high. I'm not sure how sustainable that is, but I'm not particularly worried. I wouldn't look at Justin Turner as a sell-high candidate. Uh, the power is, is absolutely legit. Uh, maybe he is just uh, powering the fly balls enough to uh, – you know, to uh, get, get to above at above average rate of uh, base hits. He's in a Dodgers lineup that makes it uh, about as easy as it could be to produce runs. So uh, it's been a very, very nice season for Justin Turner. Corey Spangenberg is the other member of the two-homer club from Sunday. Uh, he is now up to 10 home runs on the season. Of course, that all came in the same game. So that was against the Dodgers. And Spangenberg also sporting a high BAP three forty-nine. although his is more uh, based on what he's doing on ground balls. And again, Spangenberg more of a ground ball hitter. Uh, so very different in profile than Justin Turner. He's hitting two eighty-eight on ground balls, so that's uh, close to 50 points above Major League average. Uh, it's Vanjberg. A couple years ago, I don't want to say in past seasons, he barely played last year due to injury. But a couple seasons ago, was really good at, at using the whole field and hitting line drives. And and I actually kind of liked him as a breakout going into last year. And obviously that didn't really work out. But I'm not sure what we're seeing this year is necessarily an extension of what he did uh, because uh, what he did in 2015 because he's been a little bit more pole-happy this year. I think that's helped to help Spangenberg, easy for me to say, uh, helped him to uh, hit for better power this year. So I think, unlike Turner, he is potentially, he hasn't experienced it yet, but I think he could be due for a little bit more of a trade, trade-off trade in the future, because he does strike out a lot. So um, that, that batting average, which I think now is in the, the 270s, uh, that could... I could see that dipping around 250 or lower rest of season. I'm not sure how the the BABIP, uh, given his current trends, are sustainable. Or to put it another way, I'm not sure that the combination of the BABIP and the fly ball uh, or the home run trend is necessarily sustainable. But we shall see. But the big home run, the the home run heard uh, maybe all around the world last night uh, because of the velocity with which it was hit, Uh, was Rafael Devers' game-tying home run in the ninth inning at Yankee Stadium. That is his fourth home run of the year. Uh, Now, a nice little bit of data from David Adler of MLB.com that I saw on Twitter that uh, that pitch... Was off of a 102.8 mile an hour fastball from Heraldus Chapman. That is the fastest pitch ever hit for a home run since they started tracking pitches uh, in 2008. That's pretty incredible. But then again, you know, even now there's not a whole lot of pitchers that can uh, be be flirting with 103 on the radar gun. So, pretty incredible stat there. But uh, Devers has really lived up to the hype. And I know I was a, a little, uh, I think skeptical is maybe too strong of a word, but lukewarm is probably a better word on uh, uh, Devers when he came up just because he didn't get a whole lot of time in Triple I figured there was the possibility that he'd do really well, but I didn't want to really invest a whole lot in that possibility. But uh, since he's come up, uh, he is batting three he He's got four home runs, 10 RBIs, and nine runs in 15 games. That's incredible. So uh, he's uh, definitely made the, the transition, Raphael Devers. Uh, Whit Merrifield talked about him earlier, had a question about it earlier, actually recommended one owner sit him in a uh, lineup dilemma. Uh, but, yeah, hey, he's really exceeded uh, just about everybody's expectations. And I, I in the second want to get into his minor league numbers because they sort of confirm what he's doing, but I think they also sort of offer – a bit of caution. So I'll explain what, what I mean by that. But on Sunday at Guaranteed Rate Field, he gets a White Sox. Merrifield with a three-hit game. Seems like he has a lot of these multi-hit games. Three for six, uh, hit his 14th home run and his fifth triple of the year. So you know maryfield has got the speed. He's got 19 stolen bases, but that's also translated into some doubles and triples for him as well. And uh, the 14 home runs, certainly something I would not have expected Merrifield to have at this point in the point of the season. Now his fly ball rate this year is much, much higher than it was last year when he didn't hit for too much power. 44%. It's not extreme, but it's, it's higher than it was. And uh, it it's uh, certainly leans toward the side of being fly ball uh, friendly. Uh, but, he had a 43% flyball rate last season at AAA Omaha and in 69 games, because remember he, he was up with the Royals for a lot last year. So he only played 69 games at AAA. He did have eight home runs and 20 stolen bases. I don't think anybody's, I haven't seen anybody question his stolen base product production. I don't think there's any real reason to, but eight home runs in 69 games. And yes, it's Triple a you know, different level of competition, obviously, but, that maybe puts his performance in, in a, a bit of a different light. I mean, so basically what that says is, okay, if you can hit six home runs in 69 games of AAA, then over a full major league season, and, and I know Merrifield hasn't been a regular the entire season, but you know, even so, you figure, okay, pretty fair to expect maybe a dozen homers, you know, somewhere in the 10 to 15 range. Seems very fair. Uh, of course, Merrifield's on pace to go well past that. So that's why I say, on the one hand, it, it lends some credence to the idea that this guy's got more power than what he showed last year, clearly. Uh, but is he somebody that we should expect to be uh, a 21 homer hitter for the whole season? Uh, I, I have trouble buying that. I have trouble buying the the current rate of home run power that Mary Phil's had, and I'm. It's very surprising to me that he's hit more home runs at Kauffman Stadium than he has at the road on the road. He's hit, I think, four of them at Kaufman that have been uh, what the hit tra- the ESPN hit tracker calls just enough distance home runs, wall scrapers basically. Uh, he's hit nine total, so that's typically about thirty uh, percent. That that's a, a pretty typical rate to be in the just enough category. So he's he's really with such a small sample, it doesn't seem that out of line, um, but. Uh, given that he doesn't have a, a really high average fly ball distance or really high hard contact rate, I would not be surprised to see Merrifield slow down in the home run pace. Still plenty there in terms of batting average and stole base, which I don't question at all. So um, just a little bit of skepticism about what, M- M- what Merrifield is doing. And again, just enough that I would compare what I expect going forward for Merrifield with... What you could get from Aaron Judge if he figures things out soon, I would not want to leave Judge on my bench, just to get back to that lineup dilemma. Curtis Granderson is on a hot streak for sure. He went 3-for-5 at the Phillies yesterday. Excuse me, uh, hit his 17th home run, uh, his 22nd double of the season. So he has really picked up the pace, and he's picked it up fast and in a short time. Over his last 10 games, Granderson's batting two ninety with four homers and two doubles. Uh, so he's gone from kind of meh power numbers to better power numbers, uh, just based on on that short span. And the thing is that 290, that's a much higher batting average than you would typically expect from Granderson, who's always been a guy who hits a lot of fly balls and, and pulls quite a bit. But um, the the BABIP for him is pretty normal. So uh, that 290 is really... Helped by the four home runs, Uh, and and he's not striking out at a particularly low rate either. I think about one out of every four at bats over the last ten games. So um, he he certainly enters the picture now with uh, Jay Bruce gone. uh, Of uh, maybe having, I I understand Dominic Smith is there, but maybe a little bit more playing time. It's certainly as long as he is hot. uh, He's somebody that uh, deserves a little bit more attention. In uh, I'd say anything deeper than a 12-team mixed league. Uh, got a couple of other, uh, actually three other outfielders, widely available outfielders, that are red hot. Um, so I want to get to them. But I'm going to get to them after this break because you can hear the music playing. That means we're going to have some commercials in a second. So we're going to listen to those, and uh, we we come back, I'll talk about those outfielders and some pitchers. So stick around. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, let's get to some lineups, because that might be something you have a little bit of interest in, with uh, first pitch creeping closer and closer and closer. A uh, few players, notably absent. Hanley Ramirez, not in the Red Sox lineup for that 6 uh, o'clock start, 6-10 to be exact start uh, on the East Coast. Uh, so you've got Eduardo Nunez at DH, and uh, la, 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 let's see, I think it's Brock Holt. It is Brock Holt playing uh, second in place of uh, Nunez. So there you go, Mitch Moreland at first and hitting cleanup against the Indians and Trevor Bauer. you got Doug Fister going for the Red Sox. And uh, speaking of the Indians, uh, there is no Austin Jackson in the lineup. And I'm going to talk about him momentarily because he is one of the three outfielders who had a nice game on Sunday and has had a whole bunch of nice games lately. Uh, so not in the lineup today against uh, And Once upon a time, you figured Jackson was only going to play against lefties, but he has been playing more against righties and hitting righties well this season, really hitting everybody well. Uh, and I'm going to feature him in this week's waiver wire column. On FanRag, which I'm going to get to by the way, right after the show, uh, I promise. So, uh, also, Rays lineup is out. No Malik Smith. You have uh, Peter Borges patrolling center field there for the Tampa Bay Rays. Blue Jays and Marlins lineups are out, but I didn't see anything there particularly noteworthy. So uh, that catches us up. Catches us up on that. So, uh, yeah, back to those three outfielders that I mentioned just before the break. Austin Jackson, one of them. Went 2-for-4 with his fourth home run of the season uh, at the Rays on Sunday. And that takes his batting average up to 312 on the season. So as I just mentioned, hitting much, much better against righties this year than he uh, typically has. Uh, the 312 would be a career high. So would his 40% fly ball rate and his 37% hard contact rate. So that's a kind of a nice Across the board scan uh, that all points in the right direction for Austin Jackson, along with the improved splits. Um, I just yeah wish that I could be a little bit more certain that he was going to play every day. Uh, it would seem like Abraham Almonte would not necessarily be a roadblock, but um, he's certainly worth picking up in deeper leagues. Uh, I think it's very premature to go after him in anything less than let's say fifteen team. I think that's kind of the the tipping point there uh, where you might have a little bit of a dilemma. 15-team uh, mixed league, but he's widely available, so if you're an AL-only league or a really deep uh, deep mixed league, good chance Jackson's out there. Very good chance that he can help you this year. Eddie Rosario is a little bit more owned to becoming very popular because uh, he's coming off a very nice stretch. In fact, he was the American League Player of the Week this past week. Finished it on a very high note with a 2-for-3 two th- two performance, including a walk uh, against the Tigers. And over his last 20 games, Rosario is batting 347 with six homers and eight doubles. And over that span, uh, his—and actually, I should I should qualify this. I mean, this is being really nitpicky. Uh, but I pulled these numbers for the second half as a whole, and that 20 games doesn't quite cover that whole span. But so in a way, this, this just kind of further underscores the point because we're going back even a little bit further. And, and in the second half, Rosario has been pulling the ball, the ball more often. He's been making a lot more hard contact. And even though he's still not a patient hitter, that would be an exaggeration to say Rosario has become a patient or selective hitter. His percentage of swings on pitches that are outside the strike zone has gone down from the first half. And in the first half, it had gone down pretty dramatically from last season. So he's going from being uh, just incredibly almost unbelievably uh unselective to getting much much closer to the major league norms in that regard. So that that's really good to see for Eddie Rosario and uh you know he's not just hitting for average but, but also showing a lot of power lately too. So there's somebody who I did start him last week in a 12 team mixed league. So I think he is absolutely viable in that format and still very widely available in those leagues. And even probably a little bit deeper than that. Alex Presley is back. He was on the DL for a while. Uh, he was activated on Saturday. And Sunday, he went three for five and hit his seventh double of the season. Presley doesn't typically hit for a whole lot of power, uh, but he is batting 327. And he is really, uh, you know, they talk about professional hitters. And I mean, he's really been one this season using the whole field and uh, making good contact, if not necessarily, uh, you know, super hard contact. So he is pretty much strictly an AL only option, maybe some very deep mixed leagues, but he's very, very unowned. So uh, if you need help with batting average, there's somebody who could almost certainly continue to help in that regard. Uh, now, I posted a uh, poll on Twitter. Uh, Chris Sale had a just another spectacular performance on Sunday. And, and usually I don't talk about Chris Sale on the show because it's, you know, that the situation is that he makes a start. He gets double-digit strikeouts. He gets some crazy number of swings and misses. And, uh, you know, he's great. <laughs> there's not a whole lot to say. But there's been some growing talk about Chris Sale being the AL MVP this year. And that kind of uh, rang a bell for me because I very frequently am looking at standings in terms of fantasy value. I get on the ESPN Plater Raider. I get on CBS and look at the points, uh, point standings there. And I knew that Chris Sale had at least recently been the most valuable player in fantasy. So after this start, I checked it again. And yeah, he is. First overall and rotisserie value, just a little bit ahead of Jose Altuve, uh, and he's leading by a very big margin in uh, CBS standard points. So he's been the most productive fantasy player up to this point. So the poll I put on Twitter was that if the season ended today, would you consider uh, would you consider Chris Sale to be the most valuable? Player in fantasy, So I'm not talking about in the AL, just is he the fantasy MVP? And, of course, that's an incredibly broad and vague question that could, you know, leave you to, to interpret it however you want. But again, that's kind of like the real MVP, right? That's why we have MVP debates every year, uh, because it means different things to different people. And sure enough, it was split almost right down the middle. Uh, 49% voted yes, Chris Sale should be the fantasy MVP if the season ended today. And 51% said no uh and i you know i typically put these polls up when it's a question i have trouble answering or you know that i think is is at least interesting or controversial in some way so that split even uh result suggests that this is not an easy question i have a really hard time with pitchers as mvps um but you know if uh you are creating more value for fantasy owners and again i'm kind of steering this back to a fantasy discussion away from the real baseball MVP discussion. Uh, If you're creating more value than anybody else. And I think maybe, you know, to what comes into this is, you know, how late were you drafted and, and um, how much, how replaceable are you? And I mean, you know, I've talked all year, you know, analysts everywhere have been talking all year and, and probably, you know, for a few years about how hard it is to replace elite starting pitching talent. So, All those boxes check for sale. I mean, he is the most productive player. He's at a position where elite players are really hard to replace. He wasn't drafted late, but uh, I don't, my memory serves, he was not a first rounder. I don't even know if he was a second rounder in a lot of drafts. So uh, I'd I'd probably have to vote yes, despite an initial kind of tug towards voting no, because of some stupid bias that I have about uh, pitchers being MVPs. So, so that's my uh, two cents on that question. But yeah, Chris Sale. Uh, I, I guess the the way that that translates back into something actionable for fantasy owners is for next year. How early do you draft him? I mean, I can't see. I still can't see taking him over Trout. And I made a case for Goldschmidt as number two a couple days ago on this show. But maybe, yeah, maybe third. I don't know. It's tough. It requires a lot more thought than I have time for right now. That's for sure. But it's, it's definitely something I, I do have to think about. Dallas Keuchel back on track uh, after I wrote for FanRag Sports that people should sit them. I'll, I'll stand by that and say I think it was a good process. Um, you know, And, again, sort of depends on your alternatives. I think there maybe there's a parallel here with Aaron Judge where I'm saying, yeah, you start Aaron Judge even though the indicators are kind of lousy lately because of, you could just turn it around. But I think it's one thing to me if you're talking about a whole week uh, as opposed to one start. Um, and, you know, certainly I think we're, we're uh, I don't know, we're certainly where I had dilemmas in starting Keichel. Um, I felt like I had better options. But um, that dilemma is, I think, gone now, is the point, because he went six and two thirds against the Rangers on Sunday and uh, only gave up one run, six hits, three walks, and seven strikeouts against the Rangers, and here's the thing that really just kind of knocked me out about this uh, Dallas Keuchel start, was that um, I had talked on Sunday's show, I think it was Sunday's show, about how he hadn't really been getting swings and misses outside the zone, and that's really key to his success, he got the highest O-swing rate of any start this year on Sunday, 41.5%, that is outstanding, so that to me says that Dallas Keuchel is, is probably back uh, I mean, the, the, the one caveat is that the Rangers haven't hit lefties very well this year, but that's an extremely good stat for Dallas Keuchel. So um, another pitcher I wrote about in that column was Parker Bridwell. Also, not in the most glowing terms. I'd, I had to take a second look at Parker Bridwell, and I, I will uh, share that second look with you uh, in the final segment and, and what I turned up there that I wish I had turned up before this start. And a um, couple of Giants pitchers, a couple of starters doing well on two ends of a doubleheader yesterday. So get into that as well. So we're in the home stretch here. Stick around. Be right back after this break.
0: Packed with tons of in-depth insights from the industry's top experts, we get you fully prepared for a championship campaign with a deluxe draft package that includes projections, strategy articles, sleepers, busts, a cheat sheet generator, and so much more. And you're guaranteed additional access throughout the regular season. So put your gloves on now, even while it's hot outside, and get into mid-season form. Go to RotoExperts.com and register for the 2017 Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football Package. Enter code FREERADIO at checkout for a very special discount.
1: Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host for the show. And, um... Got a few more pitchers to uh, focus on here for the uh, remainder of this hour. And somebody I might have been really, really wrong about, uh, Parker Bridwell, uh, who is a flyball dispensing machine that should work really well at Angel Stadium. Uh, It's worked pretty well for him just in general. But, uh, you know, I looked at the overall uh, flyball distances and, and hard contact rates for him, and I just thought, how is he doing it? And I don't know how he did it earlier in the year. But what I missed out on is that since the All-Star break, now this includes Sunday start, uh, he has a 30% hard contact rate, which is right around normal. But in the first half, it was a very abnormal 41%. Abnormal and kind of scary if you're relying on Birdwell and Fantasy, but uh, it's working for him. And Sunday start was at Safeco Field, which is still fairly pitcher-friendly. I think it's a little bit closer to neutral than uh, Birdwell's home park but uh you know good job against the mariners uh six innings one run on four hits and a walk with just two strikeouts but uh, i had written i thought ariel miranda of the two flyball prone pitchers had a better chance of coming away with a, a line like that uh not a very good start for miranda who i'm just coming to terms with is just not really easy to trust anywhere i thought i could trust him in his home starts but uh, he it just uh, it seems that there's been more bad than good for him of late. Uh, Parker Bridwell though uh, definitely had to rethink that one. So I still would be terrified to use him in any kind of park that was uh, probably even neutral and definitely not hitter friendly. But uh, a lot of his starts uh, it, it's certainly in Anaheim and places like Seattle. Um, you know that's uh, that's gonna probably work for him really well. Chris Stratton uh, started the first game of the Giants doubleheader in Washington, and he had a really nice outing, went six and two-thirds that were scoreless, five hits, just one walk, and ten strikeouts. I have to say that was the part that probably was the most surprising to me. Stratton, not a really big history of being a a strikeout pitcher. Uh, But to be fair, this was not your classic Nationals lineup from earlier in the year, of course. No Bryce Harper. Um, And there was no Daniel Murphy in that lineup either. He sat that one out. He did play in the second game and we'll get to that one in a second. So not a lot of big bats really uh, in that lineup. Uh, You had Rendon in there and uh, Ryan Zimmerman and then really kind of went down from there. But uh, so you know, is that the, the pitcher or the matchup? I'm gonna say that's probably the matchup because I just maybe the venue helps a little bit too. I just was very surprised to see those kinds of numbers from from Chris Stratton. But uh, we'll see. We'll see you next time out for him. Uh, the second game. Oh, and I'm sorry, I should have mentioned Sam Dyson. This is actually very important. Sam Dyson got the save for the Giants in that one. And a report from the San Jose Mercury News that Mark is going to be eased back into the role, much in the way that Zach Britton was in Baltimore. So. Don't drop Sam Dyson just yet. Could maybe get a couple more saves in there. And the second game, Matt Moore, very nice start for him. Seven innings, just two runs on seven hits and no walks with nine strikeouts. Daniel Murphy in the lineup for that one. Uh, And talked about Dallas Keuchel's start earlier with all the swings that he induced on pitches that were out of the zone. 41.7% for Matt Moore. And this is somebody who doesn't – you know, who who walks a lot of batters, so really needs to have that to happen. So There was a, a piece written about him recently saying he was really working hard to try to figure out where things had gone wrong this year. Uh, maybe it's just coincidence and not correlation, but I'm suddenly kind of intrigued by Matt Moore. I'm very interested to see how he does the next time out. That is it. Uh, you will now have to wait for me and my next time out, uh, which will be tomorrow, by the way. Tuesday show, same time. Uh, see what's happening in baseball tonight so look forward to seeing you then have a good one